Uh, Today, we continue our study in the Gospel of John in one of the greatest chapters, chapter 11. I'm so excited about it. Chapter 11 is, uh, if you turn in your Bible and look there, it probably has the title, it says something like, Lazarus Raised from the Dead, or Jesus Raises Lazarus. But you know those titles are there only because an editor has put them there. They were not in the original manuscripts. And so today, I would like to change that title. I'd like to change it to Jesus Puts Death to Death or Jesus Kills Death because Jesus is the star of this chapter. Well, he's the star of the Bible, isn't he? Right? He is the main character. He's the central figure. And without him, what takes place in this chapter, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, could never have happened, only because Jesus did that. We have seen so far in the Gospel of John, and then if you've been reading with us in the other Gospels, that Jesus continues to prove his authority over many different things. He proves his, well, actually, let's do a little, um, a little interaction here. Jesus proves his authority over weather. When? When did he do that? When he calmed the sea, right? Good, good. I think that's what you said. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jesus proves his authority over, uh, this is going to be a little trickier. I'm not sure I could, over chemical elements when he... Water and a wine? Well, that was even better than the first one. Good. Jesus proves his authority over sickness when all kinds of healings, right? Throughout the, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus healing. He proved his authority over the law when he did something on the Sabbath, right? Many of his miracles took place on the Sabbath, and he established that he has the authority over the law, and in fact, he is the fulfillment of the law. Can you think of a time when he proves his authority over social prejudice? The woman at the well, right? She was Samaritan, the centurion, right? The centurion, the Syrophoenician woman. Other ways, just Jesus breaking those barriers and saying, I have authority over all that. How about over the spirit world? Jesus having authority over the spirit world. When? What's that? Cast, cast out, right? Demons. And yeah, many times, right? We, we see that. And we've also seen that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. That's from the, uh, the account when the, the uh, men lowered the, their friend down and Jesus went to heal him and he said, your sins are forgiven. And he has the authority to forgive sins. Today, we are going to look at Jesus saying, I have the authority over all those things and over our final enemy, our most powerful enemy, I have the authority over death itself. And we're going to get to see that today. This is really Jesus' greatest miracle. And this is also his last miracle in the vicinity of Jerusalem. This event, this incident today, is what precipitates the the coming events that will lead Jesus eventually to his own death and resurrection. So it's a very important chapter that we look at. It's a long chapter and a long passage. In fact, even though where the main point of this passage 
is the raising of Lazarus. Today, we're not even going to get to that point. We'll take two weeks to look at chapter 11 here. And as we do this, what I'm going to do is we'll just step through one verse at a time or a couple of verses at a time, and we'll look, we'll talk about each thing, make application. Usually in a sermon, we try to put the application at the end. That's the part that says, because of this passage, now my life is changed because of this. We're going to do that as we go throughout the passage today. We'll make application. And also, just one other thing, because it's a long passage, I've chosen to use the 1984 NIV because it's of its readability. Don't worry, I'm still a Christian. Ah, let's start reading together. I'll have the words up here for you in the NIV. Follow along in your Bible as well. Take notes. These are such a rich chapter. Let's let's, uh, look at what the Lord has to say. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So we have three characters, these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. And uh, it's interesting here that he says, Mary is the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet. You know, John doesn't actually bring this in his gospel until the next chapter, until chapter 12, but he refers to it here. It's almost as if he's saying, you've probably heard about this Mary who who anointed Jesus' feet. That's who I'm talking about here. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. What a beautiful phrase. Do you realize that they are calling upon Jesus because of his love? He loved Lazarus. And based on that love, they are calling to him and saying, Jesus, the one you love is sick. You know, you and I can pray that way. We can say, Lord, the one you love. Would you just take your finger right now and say, Lord, the one you love. You didn't say it. Let's say it with me. Lord, the one you love. One more time. Lord, the one you love. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is in need of encouragement. Lord, the one you love is doubting. Lord, the one you love is hurt today. The Lord loves you. You can pray to him based on his love. The fact that he loves you is the the claim we have to be able to go to him and say, Lord, the one you love. Here, Mary and Martha are referring to their brother as that, and we can do the same for one another as believers. Lord, the one you love is hurt and needs you today. Would you reach out to that one, the one that you love? Such a beautiful expression. We can all claim that. And I notice here that the sisters sent word to Jesus, and all they did was give Jesus the need. Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't say, Lord, heal him. Lord, break his fever. Lord, send the right doctor. They just brought the need to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to tell Jesus what he needs to do. I like to say to Jesus, Jesus, here's the problem. Now, you can do this or this or this. I give him A, B, C, D, and he most often picks E, none of the above, right? You know, I don't know why I do that, but 
I do that, and I give the Lord his options just in case he doesn't know. Now, in the scriptures, we have many examples of people praying specific prayers, praying requests, going to the Lord and saying, Lord, please make this happen. So we're okay to do that. But I just think it's interesting. There's something very simple, very beautiful, very humble about their request. Lord, the one you love is sick. Not do anything. They totally trust. It's such an act of trust. I, I've discovered this before in another passage where, where the centurion just says, Lord, my servant is homesick. And he doesn't put in a special request. He just lets the Lord know his need. This is an interesting thing to practice, and I would encourage you this week, try this. Instead of telling the Lord what to do or, or asking him for specific things that you think you need, simply give this act of trust, Lord, here's my need. That's hard, right? We want to say, do this, do this, do this, but just, Lord, here's the need, and watch him act. He will. He will do what is good. He will do what is right for you. Practice this this week. Give it a try. No demands on the Lord. Just, Lord, here's my prayer request before you. When he heard this, Jesus said to his disciples, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, so that God's son may be glorified through it. And this phrase, to God's glory, will get repeated a little later on. Jesus will speak this to, to Martha. You know, the glory of God, the glory of his son, these are the very things that motivate Jesus in everything he does. He does nothing that isn't for the glory of his father and for his own glory. His glory, his fame, his renown is what drives him at every moment. He never does anything that isn't for his glory. Now that sounds arrogant to us, doesn't it? It sounds, you know, well, that's because if we did that, we would have a selfish motive as part of that. We would have our, our proud heart would speak into our own glory. Or if I'm seeking my glory, it's often to the expense of somebody else. But when Jesus seeks his glory, because he is perfect goodness, and because he is absolute beauty, when he seeks his glory, it's only for our good. It only results in our good. He is good to all. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we did everything for God's glory and the glory of his son? Or let's put it this way. What if, what if this Tuesday, let's just say, this Tuesday, we decided everything I do on Tuesday is going to be for the glory of God. Everything I think, everything I say will be to God's glory only. Can you imagine what mighty power we might actually see if every one of us did this? Changed lives, changed hearts, our own hearts being changed, a changed church, a changed community, all for the glory of God. Jesus will do only what is for God's glory. There's no selfish motive in there. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? Lord, <laughs> you love him. It just says you love him. 
but you stayed two more days. I don't know about you, but when I hear there's, there's a need, I like to go running right away. But the Lord loved them and he stayed two more days. This is because he knows how to give God glory. And he knows that running there is not the thing that was going to give God the most glory at that point. He knows that waiting two more days will make God shine and will make his own fame and renown shine. And all of us who see it will rejoice with him. God doesn't work on our time and we should be thankful. Many times we have to wait for the Lord. And we get frustrated, don't we? We get, Lord, why is this taking you so long? For a long time, I've been praying for my son and his job situation, literally years. And I, I tried all this, okay, Lord, I'm gonna pray a specific time, a specific end date by June. You know, I've tried all the tricks, right? And I wait, and I wait, and I wait. And it's because God is going to be glorified. And when he is glorified, it means good for my son. And it means good for me. But it's hard to wait. And Mary and Martha had to wait for Jesus to come. Two more days, Jesus said, and we will go there. Jesus works on a God's glory timetable. And we can wait for that. This next section is a little longer. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. So he's basically saying, it's not my time. I, we can go back there. They're not going to kill me yet. It's coming soon, but not yet. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So, we see that Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead. So this must have happened while the messenger came from Mary and Martha to Jesus. It's about a day's journey. He gets to Jesus and says, the one you love is sick. But actually by that point, Lazarus was already dead. The messenger didn't know it, but Jesus knew it. By divine nature, he knew that Lazarus was already dead. That's not why he waited two days though. Okay, he, he was going to glorify God, but Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead. Then Thomas, called Didymus, which means twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. At this point, I always wish we knew the inflection because what we know of Thomas is that he was, what, what's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. So when I read this, I read this as, well, let's go also. We may as well all die. If he's going to die, I'll die too, right? But as I studied it this week, almost all the commentators say, oh, this was Thomas saying, Jesus, we're with you. If you're going to die, we'll die too. I don't know. I don't know. 
we don't get to hear his inflection in this, but it is interesting to just observe this. And it's a good lesson. When you read the Bible, change your inflection sometimes. Change the emphasis on different words and you'll get a different perspective. Gee, it might have been this, or maybe it was this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Four days. This is a really important fact. So we know that this is correct because it took a day for the messenger to get there. Jesus waited two more days and then Jesus traveled another day to get there. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, this is important because to the Jews at this time, there was a teaching, not from scripture, but a rabbinical teaching that said, when a person dies, his spirit hovers over the body for three days and waits and possibly may go back in and revive the dead person. I don't think that ever happened, but this is a superstition that they had at the time. Now, on the fourth day, the spirit would leave because he would see that the body has begun to decay and realize there was no hope for this body to come back to life again. Now, remember that the Jews are living in a, in a hot climate and they don't embalm, so bodies are not, are not preserved. Okay? They will spice the body with fragrant spices to try, to try to hide the smell of decaying flesh. But for the Jew, by day four, he was decaying already. And so he was good and dead, and even accommodating their superstition, there was no chance that the spirit could go back in Lazarus and, and raise him from the dead. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When, Mary, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you know, we're going to hear the same phrase again from Mary, the same exact words. Mary and Martha must have been talking about this to each other. If Jesus gets here, he'll live. Jesus, hurry, get here. If only he had gotten here, Lazarus would have lived. Do you realize, believer, that since Jesus rose from the dead, we never have to say those words? If only Jesus had been here. Jesus is with us all the time. We are never without him. We are never alone. Jesus is always with the believer. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, I, I am with you even till the end of the age. How different would our lives be if we really held on to this fact that Jesus is always with us? Jesus, you're with me. I have the strength to face this trial. Jesus, you're with me. I have the strength to resist this temptation that's haunting me today. Jesus, you're with me. I don't need to be afraid of what's going on in the world. Jesus, you're with me. I can share the gospel in confidence and not be embarrassed. Jesus, you're with me. I can silence those accusations that are always pointing their fingers at me from my own heart. 
Jesus is with us. We never have to say, if only you had been here. We live in a blessed time, don't we? Jesus is here. There are no if onlys in Jesus, no if onlys. He provides everything we need. He is with us. We saw last week he goes before us. He surrounds us. He is in us. We have his presence in every part of our lives and we can stand on that presence. And knowing that, Martha says this beautiful prayer, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Think about this situation. Martha's situation went from desperate to hopeless when Lazarus died. She was not expecting Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. She was hoping Jesus would have gotten there and healed him, but she wasn't expecting a resurrection. There was no repair for this situation. And yet Martha had the faith to say to Jesus, even now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Believer, don't give up. You may be in a situation that's gone from, from desperate to despairing, right? To, to complete hopelessness. Don't give up. Even now, Lord, work in the heart of my rebellious teenager. Work in the heart of my rebellious child that he would turn back to the Lord. Even now, Lord, though my marriage is broken and I see no hope for it. Even now, Lord, even now, work. Even now, Lord, though, though I'm desperately sick and it looks like death is on the door, even now work. And I'm, you know, the Lord doesn't always raise, raise dead people, right? right? But we know that God works. And this is such an expression of faith and trust in the Lord. Even now, you may be in a Lazarus situation, in a situation that looks absolutely hopeless. Can you have the faith? Will you exercise the faith to say, even now, Lord, even now, work, work your glory. Do something, Lord, work, even now. Jesus loves you. Jesus is with you. He will work for his glory and for your good, even now, whatever the situation is. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You know, this reminds me, just this week when uh, Bob Bacon went to be with the Lord, I met with Juanita and I said, Juanita, you know you're going to see him again. It's not going to be long before you see him again. And she said, I know. And it's really what's happening here. Jesus is saying, you're going to see him again. He will rise again. And Martha gives mental assent. I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But what Jesus says next is absolutely stunning. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Can you sense the impact of those words? I am the resurrection of the, and the life. Martha said, oh, I know he'll raise from the dead. I know there's a resurrection and I'll see him again. Jesus says, I am the power behind that. You believe the truth of it, but I'm the power behind it. It doesn't happen unless I say it happens, Jesus is saying. 
Nobody raises from the dead unless I give the authority to say they do it now. Jesus is that. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the champion, the champion over death. This can only happen because he is God. Only because he is God. If he wasn't God, he might say that, but only he can prove resurrection. None of us can do that. Only he can prove that, and he will prove that. He will raise Lazarus from the dead. He has the authority to do that. So, believer, will, can you say with me right now in these, what's in these quotes here? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Say it with me again. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Those that believe in Jesus Christ appear to die, but yet they live. They are not in the grave. They are forever with the Lord. They are not unconscious. They are with their Lord in paradise. Death cannot kill a believer. It can only usher him into a freer form of life. Death to the wicked is king of terrors. Death to the saints is the end of terrors, the commencement of glory. Death has no significance, no significance for eternity on the believer. Yes, we will face death. Most of us will face death in the Lord, unless the Lord comes back. We'll face a physical death. But death has no eternal significance to us. It is simply the door to our eternal life. It cannot harm us. Jesus goes on to say, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. We will all experience a natural death unless the Lord comes back before that time. We will experience a natural death, but we have eternal life. It is only the death of our bodies. We will experience eternal life. Our spirits live forever in the presence of God. And one day our bodies will be raised to join our spirits and be with Christ forever. Only Jesus can claim to do this. There's no one else who can make this claim. And he is about to prove that he only can make this claim. The next section verses 28 through 36. I'm not going to read this, but I'd like to summarize it for you. So Martha, at this point, runs back into the house where Mary is. Mary is in the house with a bunch of mourners who have come from Jerusalem and the, the vicinity. And some of those mourners were actually probably hired. One of, the, one of the traditions, one of the practices then was to hire mourners to come and be with you when you were grieving the death of someone. So Martha goes and tells Mary, the Lord is here. So Mary runs out. The, the other people that were mourning with her follow her thinking she's running to cry at the grave. But instead she runs out to Jesus and she collapses at his feet and she's crying and the people are crying with her and she says those same words to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus looks, sees her crying 
and he sees the crowd crying and he himself weeps. Jesus weeps. Now, this always strikes me because Jesus knew what he was about to do. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. If I were Jesus, I would say, wait till they see what I'm going to do. They're going to be shocked. That'll chase their tears away. I'd, I'd snicker inside and chuckle because I have this great secret. Jesus knew what he was going to do, and yet he looks at their hurt, and he cries. He weeps. He weeps because their hearts are broken. He weeps because he sees the destruction that death has caused on this family and on this community. In spite of his power, in spite of his authority over death, in spite of the fact that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, his heart is broken and his heart breaks for us, doesn't it? When we weep, when we're sad, when we're hurt, his heart breaks for us, even though he knows he's going to work good for all of us. For every believer, he will only work for our good. But he sees our hurt. He sees our scraped knees. He sees our broken hearts. And he weeps with us. He cries for us. That's because our God is not a stoic force. Our God became flesh and blood in the body of Jesus Christ. And in that flesh and blood, he identifies with every hurt we have, with every joy we have, with every part of life he identifies with us. And his heart breaks when ours breaks. Psalms tell us that the Lord loves a contrite heart. He loves your contrite heart. He loves your broken heart. And he cries with you. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They're referring back to chapter nine, right? We just went through that story where, where Jesus opened the eyes of a, a man who had been born blind. He says, couldn't he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? The answer is yes. Yes, he could have. He absolutely could have, but he had other plans. They knew that he could do this. Why, Lord? Why aren't you doing this? You love this man. Why aren't you healing him? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you come sooner, Lord? Why didn't you get here in time and do what we know you could do? But Jesus had other plans, plans to glorify himself, plans to encourage every one of the witnesses there, that he had authority over death and that we can have ultimate hope in him. And that's the end of today. What happens next? You know what happens next, right? Lazarus is going to raise from the dead because Jesus is going to call his name and say, Lazarus, come out, but come back next week for the rest of the story, all right? Come back. But as we close... I just want to focus on a few things and, and try, to, try to rehash some things that I think would be important for us to put into our lives today. The first is, will you memorize this with me this week? John 
chapter 11, verse 25. You may already have it memorized, and it doesn't need to be in this version, okay? It can be in any version. But say it with me one more time. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So when I memorize, I, I try to use mnemonic devices. I see this in three parts. So I'll memorize three different parts. I am the resurrection and the life. I'll say it a hundred times, over and over. Then I'll add, he who believes in me will live. Memorize this this week. This is a huge, important verse. Do you realize what you're saying here? First of all, Jesus is saying, I am, he is God. But he's saying he has power over death. And if he has power over death and resurrection, then he has the power to deal with the little things you and I face and the big things. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, that's you, believer, will live even though you die. We do not have to face death. The hope of this verse should carry us through life. So memorize this one. And for extra credit... Memorize verse 35. All right, ready? Let's try it. Ready? Read it. Okay. Now read it. Say it again. No, 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 no. The other one. Jesus wept. All right. You got it memorized already. Good, good. You know, we joke it's the shortest verse in the Bible, right? And I got a Bible verse memorized. Jesus wept. You know, but if you think about the implication here and the impact of this verse, Jesus wept for them. That's our God. That's the Lord who looks at us and, and says, you're the one I love, and he weeps for us. So memorize both of those. How about the next one? But I know that even now God will give you what you ask. If you're in a Lazarus situation, will you pray this this week? Will you exercise the faith to pray this even now? Even now, Lord, the situation is desperate. The situation is hopeless, too far gone. Even now, Lord, glorify yourself. Work what you work. I trust that you will do something. And watch what he does. Now, not all of us may be in one of those situations, but all of us can pray that prayer of just speaking our needs to God. We talked about that, right? Speaking our needs. Let's not tell Jesus what to do. He's got it under control. But just act in humility, in a simple, beautiful trust. Lord, here's the need, and here am I. And just trust. Don't say another word. Just allow your spirit to commune with his in speaking trust to the God who has power over death. So maybe you can apply that this week. One more. Tuesday. I'm calling it Glory Tuesday. On Tuesday, I'm deciding that everything I do that day, everything I say, everything I think is for God's glory. Now, thoughts will come in my head that aren't glorifying to God, but I'm going to chase them away, right? Tuesday is a glory day for me. Will you join me? Tuesday, 
Will you wake up? Wouldn't it be great if everybody in this room and everybody in this congregation woke up on Tuesday and said, Lord, your glory only. Everything I'm doing today is for your glory only, not mine, not anybody else's. I don't want to be distracted, Lord, your glory only. This Tuesday, would you be willing to join me in doing that? You're all afraid to say yes. Will you join me this Tuesday? I'm going to send out an email on Tuesday or Monday night to remind you. Glory Tuesday. And let's watch what the Lord does. Glory Tuesday. If every single one of us says, Lord, your glory, I'm on the God's glory timetable today. Nothing else, just yours, Lord. Glory Tuesday. Pray with me now. Oh, Lord, I want to thank you that you are the resurrection and the life, and that those of us who believe in you will live forever. We are with you, Lord. What a promise. Lord, we stand on that promise. Thank you for being a God who has authority over all things, and yet a God who can weep with me. Oh, Lord move in us. We want to glorify you. Lord, to your glory, may it be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As Stephen's coming up, I just want to, to speak to you Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness.